This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Fire is the theme of today's program. Uh, There was a wildfire six months ago in mid-Missouri, and 50 different departments worked to keep it from spreading to Columbia. We'll get an update from Ashley Bird on the recovery of one town that was almost wiped out. The Ozarks Amphitheater had a fire, but they'll be ready in time for a full concert lineup with big names coming again to Camdenton. And honoring the courage of Missouri's more than 20,000 firefighters was the intent of an annual event this month at the state capitol. Elisa Nelson talks to Columbia Fire Chief Clayton Farr about the importance of recognizing some of the state's bravest and looking to the future of firefighting. The Firefighter Day at the Missouri Capitol is a great opportunity for Missouri's fire service to really have a front row seat with our legislatures, our state senators and representatives, to let them see the faces of their representatives out on the out in the field, those men and women who are serving our communities. It's a great opportunity for our legislatures to meet us and to hear our voice and to let our voices be heard to them uh, of all of the challenges that we might face and those bills that we think may be good for us and those bills that may not be so good for us in our various communities that we serve. All right. Uh, Chief Farr, how long have you been the chief at Columbia and uh, how long have you been a firefighter? I've been a firefighter. This is my 31st year. I've been the fire chief in Columbia since October of 2022. So we're about six months, seven months in. And uh, so it's been a great, great ride. It's, It's been a wonderful career. Wow. 31 years. Not that long. <laughs> Relatively speaking, not, not that long. It's been, it's, been, it's been a very rewarding career, and it's been an opportunity to serve in various communities and to really help people when they are having their worst day. It's our opportunity to really help them and make their lives better. Um, what initially inspired you to become a firefighter? It was that exact thing, the opportunity to help, to help people who otherwise couldn't help themselves. My dad was in law enforcement, and he necessarily wanted me to do that. Uh, So I I dabbled in that for just a bit, and I thought, well, firefighters are very cool, and they seem to get lots of recognition. But I really was drawn to the mission of what firefighters represented and what they were about, and I wanted to be part of that. Now, have you always served in Columbia, or have you been around? I've been around a little bit, so I got my my start at a really, really small rural volunteer fire department in southeast Missouri, and I've moved up to Columbia. I volunteered in Columbia for the Boone County Fire District as well. I went to the city of Springfield, Missouri. I was a paid firefighter in Springfield, and I missed home, so I wanted to come back and come back to Columbia, so... About 25 years ago, I had an opportunity to come back, and I haven't looked back since. Awesome. Uh, Talk about what it takes to become a good firefighter today. We need integrity and a strong work ethic. We, We are seeing a rapid shift in the fire service in our country from what we perhaps have become accustomed to. So the fire service is changing, and we are necessarily requiring ourselves to adapt to a a changing workforce. Our workforce today comes to us at times with fewer people skills and the fire service is very personable. We deliver service personally. We don't, we're not able to mail our service. We're not a mail order operation. We typically will have three people on a fire crew, which will respond in about three minutes. And we're nice to people. We're having to teach some of those 
hand-to-eye coordination skills, manual skills. So when there's a fire which occurs, that fire ultimately will require someone, a firefighter, in their special gear with special tools and equipment to go into that hostile environment and make it better. And we're having to take a little bit more time to work on team building skills. We provide everything again, at least for the city of Columbia Fire Department, we have a three person crew minimum. So we will provide three people to begin solving this problem. So we're just teaching our, our, our new members how to work together as a team so that is a change for us in the fire service. It's taking a little bit longer for us to get to that place. So we're actually working with our local school district and our local community area college to develop many of the programs that we've seen here today through a high school curriculum to allow us to teach those high school scholars how to work together as a team and how to solve problems independently and also as a team. Fire Marshal Bean talked about a shortage going on with firefighters. What's it like with the Columbia Fire Department? We face exactly the same challenges that we've had. I'm told when I was initially, when I applied for this position as a firefighter 25 years ago, that there were, I was one of 600 applicants. So we are currently, this week today, we are in a hiring process for new firefighter positions with the City of Columbia, and we had 71 applicants rather than, let's say, 600 25 years ago. So we're seeing the numbers of applicants reduce. We're really not seeing a reduction in quality of applicants. We're seeing really, really talented staff that are coming to us, very willing to engage and do the job. We just don't have as quite a wide a, a view as, as we've had in the past. Columbia Fire Chief Clayton Farr Jr. joining Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. Any ideas on why? Are you hearing from people who um, would like to, but they say there are these barriers or whatever? The Columbia Fire Department is currently accredited through the national, it's an international accrediting body. As part of that process of going through the accreditation, I was tasked with reaching out to various fire departments across the state of Missouri and those areas that border the state. And many fire chiefs commented to me at that time, if you can figure this out, you'll be a millionaire. So we don't know. We don't know what's causing the shift in society. It could be, it could be anything. We, we simply don't know. So anything in particular that you are here today uh, outside of the event? Uh, that you are telling lawmakers that um, you like about certain bills, you do not like about certain bills? Really what, I'm, what I've shared with our lawmakers is a critical need for additional funding for firefighter training throughout Missouri. We, we have a strong and healthy fire service in the state of Missouri, and we need additional training for our staff. Again, as we talked previously, it, it is not universal with all of our applicants, but some of our staff are coming to us with different skills. They're not necessarily less qualified. Their skill set is different. And so again, the fire service is still a very manual service delivery organization. When there is an emergency, we come to the emergency and we have to be prepared for that. So we're seeing now an increased need for training and therefore we're seeing more training need than funding is available. So we're asking our representation to please allow the Missouri Division of Fire Safety to increase the funding so we can apply that to the additional training requirements for our staff. 
So again, we, we want presumptive cancer legislation, which has already become law, but we're seeing an increased strain on mental health for first responders. We're seeing lots of the same things that you see on the news and that you might report about. So those mass events, those, those critical events, those fires, those what have you, well, our responders are the very first ones to get to those scenes. So we often put our, our personnel in situations to see things that we would want no one else to have to see. So we really need a focus on mental health and for the tie with the presumptive bill, tying mental health to that bill so we can we can not have to go through litigation and, and any legal hurdles to get our people the help they need. What kind of state funding would you want and what does that look like right now? Do you have ballpark? So the state funding that we've, we've discussed with our state fire marshals division has been $500,000 increase in the state funding level, which would cover many of the training needs that we're seeing across the state. So for my own department, I've asked for a double or so a $90,000 increase in our training budget, specifically because we're seeing more and more need to have additional training for our staff and our training budget currently simply cannot fund that. So we have a benefit within the city limits of Columbia that we have a very, very strong relationship with our community, with our council, with our city management team. So they're very good to us and they're able to accommodate a lot of our requests. This is a big request for us to increase our training funds, but we also use training funds from the state of Missouri for our staff as well. So we, we would need to see that. We would really like to see that increase in training funds made available. Show me the day. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's WeSaySaveIt.org, a message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit AsiaRetirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. 
Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. show me today i'm bill pollack a great summer lineup of concerts coming to mid-missouri the ozarks amphitheater in camdenton and we'll talk about some of the acts joining us tom abbott uh your season starts in may how late do you run into the fall tom well we run uh we're, we're planning shows into october right now bill um we actually do start may 11th as our first show so we're uh just a few days away from the very first show yeah it's coming up hey i want to ask you you had a fire on the grounds what happened and uh and what's the status oh yeah I'm, uh what was it april 13th we had a little electrical fire in one what we call our concession one or the wild west building which also uh housed our offices above it so we uh we've displaced everything out of the office and moved into a temporary location on the property as well uh, we've got internet ticket selling computers are up and operational so we're we're back in business formulating the plan on what to do with uh, concessions and bathrooms and all of that stuff but we will not let them affect the any of the shows so we'll be up and running it wasn't friday the 13th was it no it was thursday the 13th unfortunately bad enough though huh? <clears throat> tom abbott yeah. from uh, ozarks amphitheater in camdenton joining us glad to hear that uh, everybody is safe and uh, you guys are up and running uh, so the season kicks off i, I see on your website uh, OzarksAmphitheater.com, Thursday, May 11th with Breaking Benjamin and Bush. Is that the first show? That is the very first show of the season, and uh, I say it's fast approaching. And, uh, you know, then we we hold off for a couple of weeks, and we roll into Dwight Yoakam and Aaron Lewis on Friday, May 26th, and Chicago on Saturday, the 27th of Memorial Day weekend, and then we just start rolling them out after that. Yeah, boy, that's going to be a great weekend. How many people does the venue hold? We're currently selling to 7,500. Uh, we're limited on parking. There's 10,256 seats here, plus lawn seating. Um, but we're limited currently to the amount of people or cars that we can park, and we expanded that from 6,300 people to 7,500 uh, over the off season. So we are now selling to a max capacity of 7,500 based on 2,500 parking spots. And you have lawn seating. Are people uh, allowed to bring in their own uh, baskets, picnics, things of that nature? What, what are they allowed to bring with them? Uh, <laughs> no, they can bring blankets um, and move up to the lawn seating. We're currently not selling the lawn, but people have a tendency to gravitate uh, up that direction anyway and spread out, which we encourage. And uh, it just makes for a pleasant night of music, but you can either bring your own blankets or, you know, they're available here at the venue uh, to purchase as well. And you have food and beverage available. 
We do. Uh, we have uh, multiple concession stands, multiple points of sale for um, uh, for mixed drinks, adult beverages, water, sodas. Um, we, we smoke our own meat right here with uh, Smokehouse Barbecue. So we've got a huge industrial smoker out behind one of our what we call our barbecue concessions. So we've got pulled pork nachos, pulled pork sandwiches, and um, you know your standard fare: hamburgers, hot dogs, pizzas. Uh, but the pulled pork nachos are kind of our signature dish. I thought you were going to say you were smoking something else there for a moment. <laughs> uh, that's just when Willie's here. Yeah. <laughs> Tom- <laughs> <laughs> we had Willie Nelson last year, June 3rd. So. Tom Abbott from Ozarks Amphitheater in Camdenton joining us. A lot of places are going cashless now, only taking cards or Apple Pay off our phones. What's the setup? Uh, we're still good on the uh, the good old American standard of, uh, of <laughs> cash dollars uh, work for us. So I, I don't see us going to a cashless setup uh, anytime soon. Um, we're we, we love cash. <laughs> so yeah, we're you know we are a small business, independent business. Uh, we're not owned by any conglomerate or corporation. So um, you know that you know every percentage of a dollar is a hundred percent of a dollar is a dollar. So we, we enjoy that amount. So, and it gives people flexibility. We do have ATM machines here on site. If people, you know, don't bring a lot of cash, but they want to spend the cash. And so we allow them to do that. Um, parking is free for our, um, concerts coming in, but we have added a new feature for 2023 season and that is prepaid preferred parking. So when you're buying your concert tickets online, you can also buy, a prepaid parking ticket and park close to one of two gates. So you've got an easy entry, easy exit, um, have your own gates to come in and out of. So just make sure a better experience. If you're one of those people that habitually runs late and can't make it to anywhere on time, well, you can buy your prepaid parking up front, still have a parking spot when you get here. (laughs) That's very smart. All right. So you have preferred parking Mm -hmm. and then uh, premium seating. What are the cool kids getting with premium seating? Well, they have uh, also their own gate to come in and uh, close-in parking that comes with that. You also have your own wait staff, your own bartenders, uh, food runners, and uh, bathrooms in very close proximity, and also that coveted pit pass, so you have access to get down in front of the stage, uh, you and 300 of your closest friends, and stand five feet away from the artists if you want to. OzarksAmphitheater.com is the website, and we're talking with Tom Abbott about their summer lineup. I'm not going to go through all the shows. I'm just scrolling right now. Uh, and the ones that, that jump out to me, uh, but, you know, there's so many other sure. different acts. But uh, Friday, June 30th, let me go through these. Trace Atkins, Sunday, July 2nd, Earth, Wind, and Fire. The Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald in August. And then in September, Train. And the Goo Goo Dolls. There's, there's many, many more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're not done yet. Uh, we're still announcing shows. I have another five or six shows yet to confirm and announce. Uh, a couple of comedians are going to be included in on that. Uh, national touring comedians and uh, a little bit more classic rock and a few more country acts. So 
we're uh, we're still even with the setback of the fire, we're concentrating on the business side of things and finding a few holes that we need to plug plug artists into and working with the artists and or the agents in Nashville and L.A. and New York to bring in uh, even more music to the Ozarks Amphitheater. Yeah, shaping up to be another great summer in mid-Missouri. Tom Abbott with us. You also um, help with uh, lodging. There's some options nearby, so if people want to spend the night, um, how far out in advance should people book these hotels? Oh, I would, uh, you know, if you're booking your tickets 30 to 60, 90 days out, I'd get your hotels at that point as well. We do partner with six lodging uh, partners here at Lake of the Ozarks, ranging from Old Kinderhook all the way up to the lodge at Lake of the Ozarks. And they do, we partnered up with glorified shuttles and the uh, hotel properties to provide a shuttle service to and from. So you can park your car at the hotels, get your rooms, hop on a shuttle bus, come to the amphitheater, get that same shuttle bus taking you back and dropping you off at your hotel and continue on with the night. So we, we certainly encourage responsible drinking and not driving, uh, part of the Budweiser Zero Safe Ride Zone that we're partnered with Budweiser on. And uh, so, yeah, you can get a hotel room, get a shuttle to and from. You don't even have to worry about driving or, um, you know, getting congestion in the parking lot. And you have your own gate that they drop you off at. You come in, you come back out, hop on the shuttle bus, and keep going. What a great staycation. You could spend a couple days on the water in Lake of the Ozarks, take in a great concert at the Ozark Amphitheater in Camdenton. Again, OzarksAmphitheater.com is their website. Check out the lineup. Tom Abbott, thank you so much. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today. If you miss a program or a segment, you want to go back and listen, uh, find our podcast. Search Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you subscribe. We'll talk about uh, a new bill that could change welfare benefits in Missouri. That's coming up. But uh, six months ago, a wildfire devastated half of the tiny mid-Missouri town of Woldridge, and it took 50 different agencies to contain the fire, keeping it from heading toward Columbia. Cooper County Fire Chief David Gem provided an update to Ashley Bird. It's coming along. Um, there's been a lot of cleanup done. Um, a couple of the landowners, the homeowners, haven't authorized any any work on their property yet. But so they're and their mayor's working with them to try to get uh, authorization to get on the property. But uh, there's been quite a bit of cleanup done up there and. The trees are, when I spoke to her the other day, they're waiting to see if any of them are going to come out recover from the fire. The ones that don't, they'll come in and take those down also. Um, there, it's, it's looks quite a bit different now. There's, they've done a lot of cleanup. The Father Tolton, uh, the Catholic Church in Columbia, they've been there several times with 30 to 35 volunteers. Um, and they've done. They've been loading dumpsters and and just generally cleaning up the site. Uh, it looks much better. Um, the, there's a, a gentleman from Columbia, Adam Algiers. He's he donated some dumpsters, and the the students were putting all of the scrap metal and everything in the dumpsters. And he'd come and pick it up, and then half of the proceeds from the scrap metal he was donating back to the homeowners. Um, I'm not sure how it got he got the money to him, but there's a, there's been a an association, Woolridge Legacy Association, has been formed, and they were they were formed after the fire. They were formed to assist with rebuilding of the town, 
and they're there I think that's where uh, Mr. Algiers was donating the money to because they're still they're still collecting contributions from local people. How are people this was over three thousand acres. Some of this was obviously uh, either farmland or conservation area. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Okay. And that, with fire being kind of natural, that stuff can recover, right? Yeah, that's pretty much recovered, yes. Uh, yes. This but, spring, that's coming, it's greening up real nice now. Right. Isn't that amazing how that works? But in yeah. a community with homes and buildings and and uh, structures, it's a little bit different. Um, have have people left that area, or are they are they just trying? Yes. What, what's going on? Well, most of the people, I, I think there were eight homes. There were twenty structures that were destroyed. Eight of them were uh, homes uh, that were inhabited. Uh, the rest were either vacant or there were sheds, garages, things like that. No one's moved back in. Um, several have moved away already. One couple that had just bought in there recently, they've moved to Mexico, Missouri, to be closer to their family. Um, but most of the homes didn't have insurance, so they can't, get, you know, to rebuild in the, in Woolridge now, that's in the floodplain. So they to rebuild, they have to do according to floodplain regulations, which means they have to build their new homes on stilts above a certain elevation, and they just can't afford to do that, especially with no insurance. So the downtown portion of Woolridge probably will not ever be rebuilt in. And there's uh, Brad Woolridge, is, he's, he, I mean, somewhere the family is part of the, how the town was named. He, he does have one building down there, and he's been trying to buy up some of the lots uh, for the people that just had no insurance, just to kind of give them a hand, <clears throat> a helping hand. But I, I'm not. I asked the mayor what they're going to do. She goes, "It'll probably just someday just be crops or something." So they don't know. It's they're they're in the process of rebuilding the church, and right now they're holding services in the community building, which is in the process of being renovated. When they got started holding church services, then they found out it was in a lot worse shape than they'd figured. So they're taking donations and they're rebuilding that building too. But there, there's there's very little, except for those two lots, there's very little left. There's concrete foundations, uh, and they're they're applying for a grant, Community Development Building Grant, a CDBG grant. They're applying for that to try and get some money to remove all the concrete foundations that are still left behind. And then once the trees, they determine which trees are no good, they'll get rid of those, and it'll be pretty, and it's, it still looks like it's all scorched. It's just black down there. The ground, it just got so hot. Uh, it, I'm sure they'll get grass back there, but it's going to be a while before they do. Well, when we visited there right after the fire, the governor was there, and mm-hmm. uh, the governor was there, and it was still smoldering, right? Um, the governor said that he was concerned about there being any federal help, if any, because the community was so small, even though because it has to be such a, a large, widespread area that is devastated. Did uh, the state or or federal government step in at all to help in the situation? Uh, not to my knowledge, but I'm not sure. The the mayor, um, Kelly Murphy, she'd be the one that, to ask that. Uh, I'm not sure. I know they've been they've been trying, and especially this Woodridge Legacy Association, they've been looking for grant money. I don't know where they're at with the state of Missouri. I know the only when I asked that question. 
the only answer I got was, well, no one's going to be able to rebuild back there because they can't afford to. That was the answer I got. So I'm not, I, I know they're still looking for money to try and restore the area and at least clean it up. Well, it's interesting there's in a floodplain, which means that there's flood insurance necessary, but it was a fire that devastated the area. So they, you know, got yeah. both ways. But this resonates across Missouri. There are many, many communities, thousands of communities like Wooldridge throughout Missouri where a fire could just, you know, blow through an area and change the lives of that community that's already um you know, struggles at times, right? So, uh, correct, yes. so we're talking to David Gem, who is the Cooper County Fire District Protection District Fire Chief, and we met uh, Chief Gem uh, on site at the Wooldridge Fire in Mid Missouri, where over fifty first responder agencies came in to keep this fire from spreading into other areas because this was a huge area, a lot of dry, dry ground, could have gone as far as, as Columbia, Missouri. So that effort, uh, had you seen anything like that effort before? I never have. No, not not around here, uh, that magnitude of fire. And fortunately, the I mean, we were fighting the, the 40-mile-an-hour winds also, uh, but we had, um, we got it stopped. Because of the bridge construction that's going down on the Missouri River Bridge, the contract, contractor had uh, a lot of parking lot put in there, a lot of rock, a, a road access road and everything, and that's what, what that gave us a place where we could hold our ground and stop the fire and brought bulldozers in. They just started pushing it back from there. So, because um, it's, at least when I, when I spoke to the uh, Fish and Wildlife gentlemen, they said if had it gotten underneath the bridge and gotten on the other side, there would have been nothing to stop it until it got all the way to Boonville, which is quite a distance. So yeah, we, were, we were fortunate we were able to stop it where we did. So the fire line was over four miles long. What are your cautions that you've learned from covering this fire, from handling this fire, from assessing it? You know, when you get down in those bottoms, the, winds, the wind is bad everywhere, but down in those bottoms, it's like a tunnel. Once it started, couldn't stop it because of everything, all of the debris and the the tall grass, the trees that were hanging over homes and everything. So, I mean, just just regular yard maintenance, keeping pushing the brush back, pushing overhang, getting overhang limbs off of your your roof, uh, just general maintenance around your property would have gone a long way. Uh, that's how that's why we were able to save the post office there because there was nothing in the yard. Uh, so we we just we put a crew between the last house burning and the post office and just said stop it don't let it get here, and they did because there was nothing the embers were blowing over onto it and we just kept hosing down the embers and then but there wasn't tall grass and and there wasn't big, big dead trees and things so you know keeping your yard clean and and push everything back away from your home to a safe distance. Chief David Gem of uh, Cooper County Fire Protection District. Thank you for catching us up with what's happened in the community. Thank you. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. 
Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today. Republican State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman wants to change welfare benefits in Missouri, making the process easier for residents, in addition to creating a way to move away from depending on it. She's with Anthony Moribeth. Senate Bill 82 is aimed at trying to address really the most vulnerable in our population. Um, it, the war on poverty is in its 58th year, and there's a recognition that what we've been doing isn't working. So what Senate Bill 82 does specifically is it simplifies the process for Missourians to apply for and then also to verify their eligibility to receive and continue to receive state benefits and provides an opportunity for them to work their way out of dependencies. Right now, we have a situation where if you earn $1 more than the qualifying amount, which is about 138% of the poverty level, you get no benefit whatsoever. So the kind of reaction to that or what happens is people respond rationally to irrational rules. And so they decline promotions, they decline additional hours of work, they'll decide not to try to start a business or a side business um, because they can't risk 
losing the specific programs that Senate Bill 82 is addressing, which is the child care subsidy and also SNAP and TANF, which you and I probably would refer to those programs as food stamps um, or temporary assistance for needy families. So it's trying to take that population of Missourians who are the working poor, who have already qualified for benefits, and then they can't bet on themselves. They're not able to try to, you know, work their way to independence because the risk of losing those benefits that they depend on is too much. So actually what I'm trying to do is reduce the dependency on it. So what we know is that since 2021, 16 states have tried to address this benefits cliff, and that's blue states, purple states, red states, all across the board. And what happens in states that implement these types of programs is actually we're reducing the number of people, the number of Missourians that are relying on state benefits instead of increasing it because people are able to take that first raise. And maybe the first raise isn't the one that leads to independence, but it you know, it results in that second promotion or that third promotion, or maybe the first year of their business, they're not making more, but the second year of the business that they've started, they're able to make more. And then they don't have to be dependent at all on government assistance. I'm glad that you brought that up because I was reading further into this. What is the uh, income cap for this if this uh, gets instituted? Yeah, so the way that that is still kind of being negotiated, the stair-step model that I'm trying to build is based on what TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, already does. So just as an example of the way that stair step works is right now at 138% of poverty level, which is for a family of four, $37,500. And I think when you and I talk about a family of four, in our mind, we often think of a mom and a dad and two kids. But so often for our working poor, that's actually a mom and her three children as a single as a single parent. And so she would make, you know, she made one at that $37,500 under SNAP benefits, she would only be getting $1 of food stamp benefits. So it kind of reduces based on that need. And there's a wonderful chart if your listeners want to Google, um, you know, what the per- the poverty level is. Um, you can kind of see it's based on how big your family is and then which program it is. So it's a little complicated to talk about without a visual over the air. Um, But the upside is, is that if you already qualify for the program, you're going to get a reduced benefit level at the first stair step down to 75% instead of 100% of the benefit at the second stair step, 50%. And then at the last stair step, maybe you get 25% up to 225% of the poverty level. That's about 37500 for a family of four. So that's kind of, we're talking about really the working poor who are using these types of benefits. So you're basically trying to establish benefits for people to, as you had previously mentioned, continue to work. Is that correct? That's right. So trying to make sure that these benefits are operating as kind of a ladder instead of an anchor. We know that when you are incentivizing people to not work, you know, People are going to do the rational thing in the face of irrational government rules. And this is trying to align everybody's interests, which is, you know, the best government program is a job, is what Ronald Reagan is famous for saying. And so we want to increase our workforce. We want to make sure that people have access to that dignity of work. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Republican State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman. Her sponsored Senate Bill 82 is the topic of conversation 
the regards to assistance for needy families and income and how that relates to benefits and working and the whole nine yards. So let's talk a little bit about the movement that's happened in the state legislature since this bill has initially been introduced. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't this recently pass, uh, I, I believe, if not the Senate or the House recently? That's right. So it's made its way out of the Senate. It is passed out of committee in the House, and and it's waiting to be put on the calendar in the House. Every year about this point in the session, we have four weeks left. We have a constitutional obligation to pass our budget. Um, it's the biggest budget we've ever had because there's so much federal money that we have received, and because of inflation, our tax receipts have gone up pretty significantly, about 12% more year over year. So we're continuing to have more money in the budget. That's going to take a lot of conversation. But we kind of get into a little bit of a kerfluffle between the two chambers where the Senate is, the House gets anxious that the Senate passes House priorities. The Senate responds by saying, hey, we have 34 presidents over here who all have to agree. It's a little bit more complicated to pass things out of the Senate than it is the House. So we're working on it. Um, but if you're not going to refer our bills, we're not going to refer your bills. And so I think we're kind of in a standstill right now. But that's OK, because we have the budget that we're all working on anyway. So we've got plenty of time. There's four weeks left. Um, I would never bet against myself, but I think at this point in the session, if you ever have a legislator who's on and is 100% confident their legislation is going to pass, I wish I had their confidence. I've never felt that way at this point in session about any legislation I've ever worked on. But I am feeling hopeful because it has made significant progress um, through the more complicated chamber. You name-dropped the budget specifically. I wanted to actually ask a follow-up. Are there any potential cost concerns about this passing and instituting this in law if it's signed by the governor? Well, so the way that our fiscal notes are, work, they are not able to assume the reduction in cost. They're only able to assume the increase in cost. And so we're waiting on a new fiscal note for the version that just came out of the House committee. Um, my guess is this program is going to cost about $150 million, um, but it, that doesn't account for the decrease. So we have the same population, but now if you're earning more, we're going to decrease the amount of state assistance that you're receiving. And the fiscal note doesn't count that because we don't know how many people are going to take advantage of that program. So we only count the upside when we're guessing because we're a very conservative state. Um, I am not concerned because when this has been implemented in other states, it has resulted in less government dependency. It's resulted in a reduction in our population that is utilizing government assistance. And so um, I feel pretty hopeful that this is going to be able to have a positive impact on the budget and working Missourians' lives. But there are those who say, no, 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 it's going to just cost money. And even if they were right that it's going to cost money, I think that investing in Finding a path for people to work their way to independence is something that we should be focused on doing. We Doing the same thing that you've been doing for the last 58 years and expecting a different result is probably not very prudent. Final question. We're talking with Republican State Senator Mary Elizabeth Coleman here on Show Me Today. Her Senate Bill 82 is making its way through the Missouri State Legislature as we speak. And uh, let's talk and conclude on a level of support. Does this, based on what you're saying, it sounds like it has bipartisan support. What say you? Well, it came out of the Senate 31 to 3. Uh, it passed out of the House committee 
with a similar percentage. It um, has received both you know, overwhelming support from a majority of Republicans and a majority of Democrats in the chambers where it's gotten a vote. So I think that this is one of those things that is a bright spot where you don't see politics playing in as much as you see values playing out. And when you have ideas that are working across the country being adopted here in Missouri. So I feel really comfortable and hopeful that this is something we'll be able to get done. Show me the day. Wrapping up here on Show Me Today, the NFL draft tonight in Kansas City. It's quite a process to host this big event. Uh, things will be starting at noon. The first round tonight will go uh, about three hours or so. And then uh, the following rounds, Friday and Saturday, they're expecting over 100,000 people each day. And Patrick Mahomes made a promise to uh, team president Mark Donovan uh, when he found out that they were going to be hosting the draft this year. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm extremely excited. Uh, I remember whenever the draft got announced, I, I told uh, Mark Donovan that I was going to make sure they say world champion in Kansas City Chiefs whenever they announce our pick. Um, and so uh, I held my word to that. And uh, I don't know if they've ever been able to say, say that in the, the host city, um, but I'm excited for Chiefs Kingdom to be out there and obviously supporting the entire draft uh, draftees and the, their process, but supporting the, the Kansas City world champion, Kansas City Chiefs, whenever our pick comes up. Well, Chiefs Kingdom will be waiting. The Chiefs uh, have the 31st pick in the draft, but General Manager Brett Veach says, yeah, we might trade that away. A trade down is part of the draft, and it gives people more of a reason to come back um, on Friday and see us um, do even more work. We're at the party now, so it's all up in the air, and, and I think anything's a possibility. I know business is business, but boy, it'd be nice. You're hosting. It'd be nice to at least that first round have uh, the Chiefs uh, with at least one pick uh, that first night. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Appreciate you listening. We'll be back on Friday. I'm Bill Pollack. Thanks for listening. Show me today.